A quick warning, today's episode includes 911 call audio that might be upsetting for some listeners. According to an article in Business Insider magazine, one of the most stressful jobs in the U.S. is being a 911 dispatcher. Out of 600 listed occupations, a 911 emergency operator's job ranked at number 13 for stress levels. They're trained to remain calm on every call, regardless of how panicked the caller might be or what's happening on the other end of that phone line. But what about when a call comes in and the caller is someone you know? My conversation today is with Mariah. One day she received a text message in which her brother, Nate, was threatening suicide. Mariah and her boyfriend immediately started driving to where Nate said he was, at the back of a local forestry. On the way, Mariah called 911 to get help, and the voice that answered, 911, what's your emergency, was a voice that she knew very well. Real People in Unreal Situations there is a man standing in front of me in my bedroom. My friend has been shot. I'm in the literally inside the river and I'm inside my car. He had told me multiple times that he was going to set himself on fire. If you say my name or try to look at me, I'm going to kill you. And he was just sobbing. He said, Mom, Mom, tell me you're going to be okay. And I jumped on the hood of the car and I held on. And I looked into the garage and he was hanging from the rafters. I had somebody standing on my neck. He's better to me dead. I want him dead. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad, and then on with today's episode. Nate was your brother. Do you have any other siblings? Um, Yes, I have a younger sister, and then I have a stepbrother and a stepsister as well. All right. Before we go into the whole story of what happened, would you, I'd like for you to just tell the listeners, can you just talk about Nate? Who was he? What was he like? Yes, Nate was my younger brother. He was three years younger than I am. And he was one of the smartest people that I've ever met in my life. I remember during school, he was always coming home with, you know, A's on his report cards and he always needed more work in class. I remember that he read all the books for the entire year um, in a very short amount of time. And the teachers were kind of 
looking around to try to figure out what what he should do. <laughs> so he was kind of advanced. Oh, yes. Yeah, he was very smart. I also remember that he always had way more friends than I did. <laughs> I always kind of was kind of jealous because he always had a group of people around him, both male and female, that just seemed to enjoy his company and want to do things with him where it was a, it's a little bit harder. I don't know if it was because, I, you know, as a female or, or what it was, but I always felt like he had so many more friends than I did. <laughs> he was a friendly person then. Oh, definitely. Do you remember your last conversation with him? I believe, uh, well, okay, our last conversation was we celebrated Christmas, I believe the 22nd that year, um, because my mom had to work. So we all planned to do it a little bit early. And the last full conversation I remember having with him was we were playing a Christmas game where it was something in regards to, you know, find a dirty Christmas joke, you know, to tell the group. And I just remember him. I can't remember the joke, you know, completely. I actually have a recording of it. It was the last recording that I have of him. You can't really understand what he says there either. But I just remember him telling this joke. And then we all erupted in laughter. And then you can hear me in the background saying, ooh. So I can only imagine what the actual joke was. But that was the last conversation I remember. The last, it's actually kind of funny. That same game, I remember he drew a card where we had to paint a Christmas tree on his face with green paint. And I remember painting it on his face and then he couldn't get it off. And I remember him just being so mad that his face was tinted green (laughs) that (laughs) he was, he was livid. (laughs) I have never heard of that game. I don't remember where we found it, but it was just random different things like that. It does sound like fun. Were there any warning signs that he might be suicidal? He had just gone through a breakup with a girlfriend that he was with for several, several years. I knew that he was sad from that situation. Of course, looking on it now, um, I can see, you know, possible warning signs. But at, at the time, no, I didn't see anything that would have even made me think of that at all. It seems like in a lot of cases, the the mindset would be, well, that's, you know, that happens to other people, other families. It wouldn't happen to us. So you're not really necessarily deliberately looking for signs. Right. But right. like you said, now looking back on it, you, you might be able to, in hindsight, see that maybe there were signs. Oh, yeah. And knowing the things that I know now that were happening in his life, I can definitely understand. I mean, his life was pretty much just falling completely apart. So if I, yeah, I mean, knowing the things I know now, 100%, I would have, I mean, it would have crossed my mind. What was going on aside from the breakup? Um, He had broken up with his girlfriend and they were all in the same friend group. So it kind of seemed to me looking, you know, looking in that kind of his friends had, a couple of them had kind of abandoned him and he was actually moving back to Seymour from Indianapolis where he lived with his friends. So, I mean, he had, he'd lost his girlfriend, then he had pretty much lost his support system, and then he was moving back home, and he didn't have a job. So, I think everything just kind of crumbled at once, and he had nothing to grasp onto for any kind of regular life or anything like that. Like the perfect storm of bad life events all at the same time. Yeah. Right. 
Well, let's talk about what happened on that day. Uh, what was your first knowledge of anything that was happening? I remember being in my living room and I received a text message from his ex-girlfriend that he had, she had forwarded me and it stated something along the lines of, you know, I've decided that my life isn't worth living anymore. You can find me at this address. Don't try to save me. I've sent this text message on a 10, 10 minute delay. So by the time you get to me, It'll be too late. Nate's ex-girlfriend's name is Kinsey. Kinsey forwarded Nate's text message on to Mariah, and then she immediately called 911. The 911 dispatcher on duty who took that call was Nate and Mariah's mother. 911, where's your emergency? 1440, yes. This is Kinsey, Nate, she's in the hall, she just sent me a message. Where is he? He's what? He said he was going to kill himself. Where is he? He sent me a message saying that he's going to be at Lake Linda at the refuge. I tried to call him, I tried to call you, but I figured you were at work, I called Mariah. So, of course, I knew exactly where, with the address, I knew exactly where to go. So, um, I grabbed my boyfriend at the time, and we, we got in the car. I remember we were hustling and bustling around, and our dogs ended up getting out, and they were running around the neighborhood. My neighbor's trying to tell us that the dogs are out. We're, you know, trying to explain to them, like, hey, we have an emergency, like, there's nothing we can do. And we just drove as quickly as possible as we could to get to the location that we was he was at. I remember it took forever. It wasn't that long of a drive, but I just remember thinking, we're never going to get there. There's, We are going to be too late. You know, We're never going to get there if there was a chance. There's nothing we can do. Can you just tell us logistically, where were you in relation to the girlfriend and in relation to where Nate said he was? So it was kind of uh, almost like a triangular type situation. We were on in probably in the middle of town. The area that he chose was on the farthest side of town, back in a uh, forestry, as far as you could go back in the forestry, in this little parking area where, I mean, you literally had to drive till you couldn't drive anymore. And then she was maybe, she lived maybe a mile away from that area. So we knew she wasn't going to go. I knew that she, you know, didn't have the, if, you know, if, he was there. She couldn't find him. There was no way that she, you know, she could do that. Because she wasn't familiar with the with the with the park. I don't think she could have done it mentally because she was already a mess. It seemed kind of, you know, because she in in her text message she was like, you know, I can't believe this. I don't know what to do. What do we do? You know, almost as though she was already a mess. There was no kind of logical thinking going on. So even if she did find him, I don't know what you know. It it was. I don't think she could have mentally handled it at all. Okay. And so how far away were you? At the most, we were probably like seven or eight miles. It wasn't far at all. I mean, maybe a 10-minute drive. 
And really, a lot of that drive was trying to get from the start of the forestry till all the way to the back because it's not a straight straight shoot whatsoever. You know, you have to take there's it's all gravel road, and I'm trying to fi- follow a map that I found on Google really quickly to try to even find where this lake is. We really didn't know where it was at all, <laughs> so I mean, it was a lot of guessing. And was this in? Was it daytime? Yes, it was in the it was the middle of the afternoon. I think it was like around one o'clock and it was raining that day. I remember it raining. It was still sunny, but it was raining and it was so cold on the way there. I called 911. My mother answered the phone because she's a 911 dispatcher in our County. And, you know, I explained to her what the text messages I had gotten that I didn't know what to do, that we were on our way. And she was very composed, you know, and she said, unfortunately, you know, there's nothing we can do until, you get there and figure out what's going on. 911. Mom, that's Nate. I know. I'm getting ready to send everybody that I can, Mariah. I can't get a hold of him. He won't answer me. Lake Linda. He was going to kill himself. I know. I just got up. Okay. I know. I know. Okay. So we drive there. We finally do get um, to the back of the the forestry to the lake. And I remember we got close enough to where I could see his car. And I remember screaming as loud, screaming a scream I've never screamed before because it was like, I knew as soon as I saw the car, he wasn't lying that everything was true. Like that's when it finally hit me. Like some, there's something very, very wrong. And so I called 911 again. And the only thing I could say to my mom was mom, he really did it. And I remember hearing her scream, and then someone took over the call. 911. He, he, Mom, he shot himself. We need somebody here. No, no, no. Are you there? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He shot himself. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Hey. Hi. Hey, just get Charlie over here. No, you're you're fine. Yeah, he's people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. 
and her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com what, or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing, two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science, and all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. So we pull up and stop and my boyfriend at the time wouldn't let me out of the car. I, I remember fighting him and screaming and yelling and he just wouldn't let me up to the car. He knew I didn't want to... He knew he didn't want me to see that. By that time, my brother's ex-girlfriend's father had showed up. And I remember him going to the car and looking in the window. And the only thing he said was, oh my God, Nate. And so I knew it wasn't good. Then slowly through talking to him and um, talking to Evan, you know, I realized that um, he had shot himself um, in the head. And... He was still breathing. His heart was still beating. So at that point, it just became, okay, we need to get somebody here. We need to get them here as fast as possible. If he's still breathing, there's still a chance he could be alive or, you know, still be able to recover from this. I don't know exactly, you know, where where he shot himself, what happened exactly, you know, everything like that. And then slowly it seemed like forever. I'm yelling on the phone to the 911 dispatcher that they can land a helicopter in a place that no one on the earth could ever land a helicopter. But I remember telling them a thousand times that they could land this helicopter here. And, you know, she just kept saying, we have an ambulance on the way. We have an ambulance on the way. And I remember just sitting there crying. And I don't know how many times I tried to run up to the car after that. Are you still there, hon? 
Yes, I hear you. And he's still conscious? He is not conscious, but he is breathing. Okay. It's off at 275 North. We just got 911. He has has a gunshot wound to the head. Where's the gun? Is there a gun there? I don't know. I can't see it in the car. Okay, he's in. It is. Okay, but he's in the car. He is. He's moving back. The helicopter on his leg. Okay. We've got people almost to you. I know. I see them coming. Okay. Medic 5, need your respawn. It's going to be in Jennings County. It's going to be our 1300 East, 225 North, reference uh, gunshot to the head. Yeah. What's your name? Okay. Do you see anybody yet? Seven. No, it's just a fucking one. Okay. There should be one coming up. Who is that? Do you see them now? There should be a cop car coming up. No, I see no cars. Okay. They're getting ready to turn off R-225 North and uh, 475 South, which you guys are at. Do you see the officer? I got I got two trucks and a car. I don't there are no emergency vehicles. Okay, okay, no. Do you see him? No, we got a cop. The guy, I, honey, I got him. I've got him coming to you. Okay. Okay. Medic five, you respond to 1300 East to 25 North. Reference a gunshot to the head. Patient is still breathing. Move the car. Move the car. Move the car. Seventy-seven on scene. Hey, stay with it. Ma'am, are you still there? I am. Hang on just a second. I'm still here, hon. I just got you. I'm talking to everybody else, okay? I understand. I understand. They're pulling in. They just passed the refuge, like to pull in off the Highway 50, so they're not too far. Okay. Is the helicopter in the air? Yeah. I don't think they're going to be able to do much. Okay. Yep, we got him. Sorry. And you said he was still in his vehicle, though? He's still in his vehicle. They're with him right now. Okay. He's just he's, he's labored breathing, but he's breathing. So we need somebody. You should be seeing the ambulance or hearing them. Do you hear them at all? I think so. Hold on. I was moving my truck. All you can do is wait and pray. Honey, pray. Okay. Oh my God! I don't hear him. 
and just like let when they get there, I know you guys will let them attend to him and get him going, you know, and then you guys can follow, just don't drive, you know, wild to the, you know, the hospital because we don't need you guys hurt either. My father ended up showing up at some point. I'm assuming my mother contacted him. I remember my dad pulling up and he just parked in a ditch and got out. And I looked at him and I said, daddy did it. And my dad started crying. But then I said, hey, his heart, you know, he's still breathing. And it was like something clicked in my dad and he turned. He, It's like he turned into someone else. Like he went straight into survival mode. He ran over there. He got in the car with my brother. You know, he put a towel where it needed to go. He was talking to him, you know, trying to calm him down. You know, if he could hear it was, I think the army, my father was in the army and I think the army training kind of kicked in. Once I said, he's still breathing. It kind of became a recovery mission at that. Several minutes later, I know it took a while, the ambulance ended up showing up, and I remember my mom was right behind the ambulance, and she was jumping out of the car trying to help them, because she also used to be an EMT, and I remember them just telling her, stop, stop, you can't, you you know, we have this, this is, you know, our job, it's not your job right now to, you know, try to do this. We need to get him in here as quickly as possible, We, you know, get him going. And I remember Evan standing or my ex-boyfriend Evan standing in front of me, trying to shield me from them extracting him from the car so that I couldn't see. Evan was very protective of you this whole time, wasn't he? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, yeah, he def, he took the brunt of everything. He saw everything and wouldn't let me see anything, which I I'm grateful for now. Cause I don't know, you know what I would do if I had to, had those images in my head. That's for sure. So they do get him in the ambulance. Um, we followed the ambulance. I don't know how many red lights we went through. So the hospital told the ambulance not to bring him in the hospital at all because there wasn't anything they could do. So they drove him to the, the tarmac. The helicopter was waiting. Um, we were standing there and he flatlined once. And so they brought him back. And then they put him in the helicopter and took off. They told us where they were going to a hospital in Indianapolis, which is about an hour away. And that we could meet them there. They would be prepared for us when we got there. So a friend of ours showed up. I don't really know who contacted who at that point. A friend of ours had showed up and they actually drove myself, Evan, and uh, my father to the hospital. So you all went in the same car, but but your friend was driving. Yes. Yes. That was probably a good thing. You don't want to be driving in a mental state like that, really. Right. Definitely not. I don't, there's no way I could have, yeah, I couldn't have made it there. Focused on driving. And that was, you said that was an hour? Yes. It was an hour drive. Yeah. So what do you, what do you do for, when you're driving to the hospital for an hour, what do you do in the car the whole time? I remember we were calling a lot of people because I have a huge family. My father is the youngest of six children. So we're just calling aunts, uncles, my sister. I was trying to figure out where my sister was, trying to make sure she could get you know to the hospital, that she heard what was going on, that she was taken care of. So it was just a lot of trying to explain to people what was going on. 
but also trying to do it quick enough. You're kind of shushing a lot of people, trying to tell them to calm down so that you can make sure to call everybody that needs to be called and make sure that, you know, our family is able to get to the hospital on time um, to make sure everything's okay. It was probably about halfway there. I was sitting in the car and I just turned to Evan and I said, he's gone. You know, I was like, I felt something. He's gone. No, there's nothing that we can do. And, you know, of course, Evan looks at me. He's like, don't say that. You know, we're not even there yet. We don't know what's going on. You know, everything could be okay. And I just remember almost like a sense of relief. Like, okay, he's gone. You know, he's not suffering anymore. He's not in any more pain. We can kind of slow down. I've heard other people say that, that even though they're not present with the person, they I've heard some people say that you can just sense that their spirit is no longer on the earth. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was it was like I was sitting there and like something left my body. It was like I watched him, like a part of him leave my body. And then I was okay. It was like I was so much more calmer. Everybody else, of course, around me is, you know, we're, you know, freaking out. Everybody's trying to get there as soon as possible. And I'm just kind of calm and like, okay, you know, we can't do anything at this point. He's gone. And of course, there's no scientific explanation for that, but it's just something that you knew. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. I've never felt it since or before. We do get to the hospital. They are ready for us. They have like a little room in the back. That's how I knew it was really bad, I think was that they already had a room for all the family in the back. You know, I'd never been to the hospital before where they're like, oh yeah, come back here, sit down. We've got, we're prepared for you. You know, is there anything we can get you? It was almost like they had almost some kind of like hospital, you know, like hotel hospitality almost, you know, like let's make sure everybody's comfortable. Um, a lot of my family had already gone there somehow. <laughs> they were coming from different areas too. So different lengths of time to get there. My aunts and cousins and my uncle was there. I just remember us all. We just sat down for what seemed like an eternity in that room. Nobody would tell us anything. You know, we didn't know where the plane was. We didn't know where Nate was. We didn't know if he was in surgery, if, you know, what was going on. Nobody knew what was going on. I don't know how long we ended up sitting in there, but I mean, it felt like days and I remember my mom or, you know, someone coming and getting my mom and dad. And they were gone for a while. And then they came back and my mom just shook her head, you know, to kind of tell us like, you know, he didn't, he didn't make it. He's gone. I've never heard a rush of silence so loud. There was no, no sound in that entire room. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It was like everything completely stopped. People stopped breathing. It was, we were all just so quiet and we just looked at each other like, you know, is this really happening? Are we all really actually here? My mom came and <laughs> sat next to me and my sister and she asked us, you know, if we wanted to see him. She said, of course, you know, he, he looks bad. They haven't removed anything. They have wrapped his head, but, you know, he is in rough shape. 
but both of us decided that we did want to go back and see him. So we did go back to the the area there. And he just looked peaceful. He looked horrible as far as, you know, all the tubes coming out of coming out of him and his head was wrapped, you know, there was blood everywhere. But he, his face was so relaxed and his eyes were shut. He, he was just at peace then. I touched his hand and it was just so cold. I think that was the hardest part. I just sat there and finally I had to get up. I couldn't, I couldn't sit there any longer without being able to like hug him or I wanted to scream for him to wake up, but I knew he wasn't going to wake up. That was very rough. After that, I just kind of like walked around the hospital by myself for a while. I ended up getting lost a little bit, actually. And had to have someone show me back to where we were. But when we got back, they kind of told us some more information altogether about what had happened. And we did learn that halfway there in the helicopter, he did pass and they couldn't revive him. And that in a case like this, when they stat flight someone, if they pass away, it's not no longer considered an emergency. So they did land the helicopter at a local hospital that was nearby. Not the hospital you went to. No, they'd stopped at a hospital that was halfway between where we were in the hospital that we were going to. And they put him in an ambulance and drove him the rest of the way to the hospital that we were located at. So that's why you were waiting all that time. Right. Yeah. He, had, he hadn't even gotten there yet. Right. Yeah. So a majority of the time we were waiting, yeah, he wasn't even there. Which I found that situation a little bit odd, but you know, I later learned like, you know, that's how they how they do things. Out in the front area where where his friends were, because they just let family members come back in the back where we were all sitting, I did have to tell his friends that that he was gone. And I remember them all just breaking down and hugging me. And his ex-girlfriend just kept telling me that she was sorry. And I just... That's kind of when I decided that I was going to have to man up, if you will. And that I couldn't be emotional. I, you know, I had, I had, I had things to do, you know, people to inform. I had to get things done now that I felt like I needed to take on the responsibility as the next of kin because I was the oldest sibling. And I kind of held on to that, the, you know, through the funeral and everything. I remember when we were actually in the funeral home, I did break down at one point. I told my parents that. I didn't want them to worry about everything because it wasn't their responsibility because no no parent is supposed to bury their child and that I was the one that was supposed to be taking care of it not them. So that was that was a very hard part for me to not want to completely take over everything because I felt like it was my responsibility and if I didn't I was almost a bad sister. That's an interesting way to look at it. Do you still feel that way now? Um, somewhat I do. I felt, I kind of feel like, I still feel like he was my responsibility. Like 
I should have seen something, you know, there had to have been something that I missed. You know, if I had only said this or that or, you know, been a part of his life more in this aspect or that, that things would be a little bit different. Mentally, I know that there was nothing I could do, but it just seems like every once in a while I just go into that train of thought like, well, what if this would have happened? How different would our life be now? You know, if he knew this or that, would that have made a difference? I was going to get married, actually. At that time, I had just got engaged a few months before. And I remember kicking myself because we hadn't really talked to him about the wedding or got him excited about the wedding. So I know that was one thing for a while that bothered me. Like, if he knew he was going to be in my wedding, would he have just pushed through a little bit longer? Or something, you know, anything like that. I know now that. Those thoughts are unfounded, but they always, you know, they they come now and then. This happened the day after Christmas. Yes, it happened December the 26, 2016. Christmas is a disaster for our family now, I feel like. We did, I my sister, shortly after my brother passed away, we found out my sister was pregnant. And she did have my nephew. Shortly before my brother's birthday, actually, just a week or so before my brother's birthday. And I always say that Miles saved my family because it took the the pressure off of being a family that had someone who, who died by suicide to, okay, now we have, you know, this little person that we need to take care of and we need to spoil. And we were able to focus more on taking care of Miles, making sure that he was okay, that, you know, Christmas could be joyful for him too, but we could still remember Nate. My sister does stress that she, I mean, she has another child now, but both of them know who Nate is or was, and, you know, they know that he's in heaven, you know, that he was their uncle. So she makes sure that, you know, he still lives on in them, but Miles, you know, Miles was our angel at the time. He kind of made sure we were all still grounded. Yeah. You could refocus positive energy in that direction. Right. Even though, I mean, it doesn't take away from the grieving process still, but mm-hmm. I know holidays can be a depressing time for some people. Is Did Nate, do you sense that he felt sad about Christmas or the holidays or anything? I never sensed that because it seemed like a lot of my family members, my cousins were all the same age. So we all kind of have really goofy kind of holidays every time we get together. We don't see each other very often, but we do get together, you know, during Thanksgiving and Christmas. So those were always, I feel like the times that we had the the best time, but it was a little bit different because, you know, things weren't on Christmas Day that year. Everything was a little bit different. Like Christmas Day, we didn't have anything going on. So it was kind of... I could see where that could have been sad. You know, he didn't have anywhere to go exactly on Christmas because we'd already celebrated it. Has this whole experience changed you in any way? I definitely think so. I personally um, struggle with depression and there for a little while I did uh, suffer with suicidal ideation. And it took me a while to not feel depressed and and want to, I not necessarily die myself, but try to go away for a little while. I remember thinking that a lot. 
But having gone through this now and seeing how it really does affect people, how I felt, how my parents felt, you know, how just people that knew him felt, I realized that even when we feel like we're completely alone, that we're not, that somewhere, someone somewhere is concerned about you and that, you know, suicide isn't the answer. There are things that we can fix. I know there was a quote specifically, actually, when I was in an in-treatment center for a little while, right after this, because I had um, a little bit of trouble coping with everything that had happened. And I found a quote that said, um, suicide doesn't take the pain away, it gives it to somebody else. And that really spoke to me because I saw the pain in my parents' eyes that I'd never seen before. You know, I saw my dad cry for the first time. I saw how it hurt my sister and, you know, my cousins. And then I saw just the the flood of people that came in that Nate had just touched in some little way, you know, could have been 10 years ago, but it made a difference to them. And that if we didn't have, now that we don't have him, we can't have those moments anymore. So it made me really, really realize that even if I don't think I'm making a difference somewhere that I am every time you interact with somebody. Someone may be listening to this right now who may be considering suicide. What would you say to that person? Call someone. There's, I know now they have texting. um, There's online resources now. Reach out. It's tough. It really is tough. But reaching out to someone for help can make you realize that there's so much more ahead of you that, you know, you may feel bad right now, but there's always the chance that you could be happy in the future. And by deciding to, you know, end everything now, you have no chance to be happy in the future at all. You have you end things on a on a depressing note and then you leave your family to have to deal with it. Also, I think some people don't realize that they're they're not alone. There are so many people going, you know, around the world dealing with dealing with problems right now that feel suicidal and there's so many resources out there that someone does want to help you, that you do matter and that every life is worth living. I've heard so many stories of people who would say, you know, yeah, a few years ago I would I tried to kill myself and or maybe even more than once and because it just didn't seem like there was any possible way the situation could turn out uh, to be positive or happy and now, you know, looking back a few years later, maybe not even a few years, maybe a few months, things have changed and they're so happy that they didn't they weren't able to uh to to go through with it. But it's hard to see that at the time, though, when you're in that spot. Definitely. It's almost like you're in a hole with no ladder. There's nothing you can. There's no way to get out. But there is always a way to get out. I mean, I had to walk into a hospital um, alone, you know, telling them that I, I wanted to hurt myself. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was also the best thing that I've ever done. And I'm really glad that I did it. When you say that's the hardest thing you've ever done, I can imagine that being the case. 
how did you prepare yourself or work yourself up to to have the courage to do that? I, well, I looked at it like I didn't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to feel this way anymore. And what do you do when you're sick and you don't want to feel that way anymore? You know, you go to the hospital, or you go to a doctor. And I just thought, I don't want to feel this way anymore. There has to be another way, you know, besides ending everything that this can be fixed. And I've kind of looked at it like that since then, you know, this is a problem that I have, but there's always also a solution. You might recall recently, I put out a listener survey and part of that was that anyone who completed the survey could be included in a drawing for a $50 Amazon gift card. Well, after the drawing, I announced that the winner was Maria, and of course she got the gift card, but that's not the whole story. Listen to what she told me. Hey Scott, this is Maria, the winner of the $50 Amazon gift card. I wanted to give you a quick update. I am a second grade teacher, and this year we have been fully remote since August. My six and seven year old students need a lot of visuals, and it's been difficult this year to say the least. Well, thanks to you and the podcast, I was able to use my $50 gift card to purchase a document camera for my class. My students and I are so excited and grateful to you and to the podcast for making our learning a little easier. Thanks again. So I have to say, I think that is really awesome. And really, isn't that just like a teacher? Maria could have just gotten something for herself at Amazon, but her first thought was, how can I use this to benefit the students in my class? That's just how a lot of teachers think. So congratulations again, Maria, and your students are lucky to have you as a teacher. And if you're a fan of the 911 audio calls and the stories that go with them, you need to become a patron of this podcast. It's just $5 a month, and that gets you access to the extra episodes that are exclusive to those patrons. The extra episodes are called Raw Audio, and Raw Audio Episode 8 was just released. In this new episode, a woman is awakened late at night by someone trying to break into her house. One of them is standing on my front porch. What's the other one doing? I don't know. Are you home alone? Yes. Well, I have my four children. A 911 dispatcher remains calm while taking a horrific emergency call. And where are, they, where are the children at? In my daughter's room, on in, the floor. In your daughter's room on the floor? Okay. And a man calls 911 because he is really angry with his wife. I deserve to go to jail for murder. I want to kill her. You can get access to those full bonus episodes by becoming a patron at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. And if you want to help the podcast, don't worry about leaving a rating or review. You might notice I never ask for reviews because they have absolutely no effect on how well a podcast shows up in search results. It's a common misconception by a lot of podcasters. You're welcome to leave a review if you want. That's fine. But if you really want to help the show grow, here's what you do. Right now, think of someone you know who listens to podcasts. Just think of that person in your head. Okay, you got that person pictured in your mind? Now make a plan to tell that person about this podcast. 
the majority of people who hear one episode of this show end up subscribing, and then they download all the past episodes. So just go tell that one person about the show, because that is a huge thing, and I appreciate it. So that's a wrap for this episode, and I have to tell you, I have some shows coming up that I am really excited about, so I'm looking forward to putting those out. Please, keep yourself safe, and I'll see you next time.